Today is October 30th. Can you believe that? 2022. Guys, we wanted to open up this message this morning with you in celebration about the things that our God, our King, our Savior has been doing in our midst. We're talking about testimonies before, during, and after the One Association Conference, even up to this morning while we're experiencing healing for our personal bodies and our family all around the room. Guys, can you believe that all of our vehicles made it from here to Gatlinburg and back? Can you believe that? Baj and I were talking about this. We're like, Miracle. We, we can't believe the lack of repairs that we had to do in Gatlinburg at the conference. It was amazing. Guys, it's a celebration because no one was hospitalized in Gatlinburg. In fact, we saw healings during the conference as the Holy Spirit confirmed the work that he was doing among us. Guys, our marriages made it through the conference. Amen. They didn't just survive the conference. No, 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 no. Our marriages are stronger after the conference. <laughs> the brotherhood in this room blossomed in ways that it is hard to dictate in speech through a microphone. Guys, when you got back, as you're sitting here in these seats today, can you feel the blossoming brotherhood, not just around this room, but the connectivity that is elevated around the churches of the One Association and internationally as well? Guys, the Lord is doing special things. You guys have greater evidence of the fruit of unity between our churches, and you can feel that. We all had this blessing, and it didn't come easy. Somebody say it didn't come easy. It didn't come easy. But nothing worthwhile is easy, right? Because it was difficult, because the Lord added just the right amount of difficulty and struggle into this process, he made sure that the bonds that we are making went, we dug down deep for those. And the Holy Spirit breathed on them and blessed them throughout the conference and either, even to this morning and to this day. And now that we are all back home, can you say there's still some work to do in this way of life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we still got some work to do. We're continuing the deepening of these bonds with one another. Come on, turn with us to our first passage of the sermon, going to Genesis chapter 21. We are going to start in verse 25. And I got to tell you that your pastors are excited this morning. We are amazingly excited. I tell you that the Lord visited us during our study time yesterday. I mean, it's not like we're feeling any better than you, but what we are is we got a chance to be touched by the Lord, and we're going to share that with you, and God's going to do the same thing in our midst today. Genesis 21 and verse 25. Somebody say there when you're there. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water, that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I, I, do, I know nothing. I don't know. I did not know. I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I've only heard about it today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Say they made a covenant. Made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. 
And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Okay? So both Abraham and Abimelech here are concerned about the preservation of their generations. This is why Abimelech and a man named Phicol, his leader, his commander of the army, have come to Abraham and said, hey, hey, we need to make a covenant. We need to make an oath here. I want to know that it's going to be good between us and our children and in this land for, for all time. So both of these men, Abraham and Abimelech, are concerned about the preservation. Somebody say preservation. Preservation. The preservation of their generations. And this is the motivator behind the covenant that they're making together. But I don't know if you noticed this in the passage. And this is pretty much almost the entirety of the story here between these two men. But there's only one man that actually had skin in the game. Abimelech was requesting of Abraham to make this covenant. But here in this passage, you're only seeing Abraham as the one who is giving. Abraham is the only one that's making a sacrifice here. See, Abimelech was making a covenant that didn't cost him anything. He was making an agreement between he and another man, but it was costing Abimelech nothing. And then they would go on their separate ways, having had made this covenant. Abraham made a covenant. Then what did he do? You can look back in verse 27. He took sheep. He took oxen. He began to give generously in that moment because Abraham understood what it was like to make and to keep and to nurture a covenant. And then he added onto it seven ewe lambs. So he first gave sheep, he first gave oxen, and then he separated seven ewe lambs out. Seven female lambs that were going to be valuable because they could still reproduce. In order that the spring that he had dug would remain as a spring of life-giving water for the generations after him. This is the beginning of our story and the beginning of our understanding of the kind of covenants that Abraham made with Abimelech. Everybody say, Abraham was a man of a covenant. Abraham was a man of a covenant. So verse 31 picks up, therefore, the place was called Beersheba. Because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So when we look at the word and the, the name of this, this area, Beersheba, we know that it means well of the seven. So everybody say well of the seven. Well, well of, of the, the seven. seven. Or it can mean well of the oath. Everybody well, say, well, of the oath. Well, well of the, the oath. So you want to know a truth about the definition of this name? Okay, ten people. Okay, okay, yeah, wake up, wake up, wake up. We Stay with me. The truth is you cannot have one without the other. You can't have a well of seven without a well of oath. We're going to describe this. So here, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Oh, this is dropping. You cannot have a sacrifice worth anything without a covenant that is established by God. I'll repeat that. You cannot have a sacrifice worth anything without a covenant established by God. 
and you cannot have a covenant established by God without a sevenfold sacrifice. They work hand in hand. The sevenfold sacrifice is a complete sacrifice. You guys are good Bible students. You know seven is the number for complete. And that complete sacrifice is one that God has required of you because of the covenant that you have made. They're interworking. Because Abraham knows what it is like to make a covenant with the Lord, he also knows how to make covenants with his fellow man that are not about himself or his own benefit, but rather for the benefit of those who would come after him. So did you guys pick up on when Pastor Wade was sharing the earlier parts of this verse that Abraham was the one to bring uh, a con contribution, a sacrifice? Abimelech was not bringing a sacrifice. Abraham had previous experiences of knowing what it was like to establish a covenant. So therefore, the name Beersheba includes both the interaction of a well of seven or complete sacrifice and a well of oath. So let's look at another covenant. So as you guys are turning a couple pages to Genesis 24, you need to know something. The title of today's message is called Preservation Through Covenant. Say that with me. Preservation, Preservation through, through covenant. covenant. Now, as we're turning to Genesis 24, understand something about what we just read in Genesis 21. If you go to sacrifice without a God-given, a real God-established covenant in your life, then it's useless. It's null. It's void. The inverse of that is also true. If you have a God-established covenant in your life, but a sevenfold, a complete sacrifice is not involved in that covenant, then that covenant means nothing. It's null and it's void. We're learning something from Abraham, the father of our faith this morning. You guys want to continue to learn from Abraham? Genesis 24, starting in verse 1, says, Abraham was now old. And well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Ooh, can I tell you, that's pretty graphic in the Hebrew. Guys, we want to walk through the progression of how we got here. Starting in Genesis 21, we just saw in that chapter that Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant in chapter 21. Then, in chapter 22, a covenant, an oath, or a shiva, is established on Mount Moriah in the presence of both God and his son Isaac. That's chapter 22. Abraham continues in this covenant way of life and secures forever a burial site for his wife Sarah and their descendants after them in chapter 23. Are you seeing a pattern here? Abraham is a man that has a covenant way of life. Now we're in 24, and we see Abraham, old and well advanced in years. Why is this important to understand? Well, it's important because you think that Abraham didn't understand that he was old? He was getting up there? Like, he didn't have any concerns about, like, man, what, what's going to happen to all this when I'm gone? See, Abraham knew the seriousness of what it meant that he was getting old, that he was well advanced, that he could literally go and be with the Lord at any time. So 
the word helps us out and gives us that stipulation at the beginning of chapter 24 and then gives us the very first thing that Abraham does as he's getting older. And what was that? To make a covenant. The first thing that Abraham prioritizes is making a covenant with his chief servant. So we, le- we can learn from a man like Abraham. The preservation of our progeny is dependent on the covenants that we make and that we faithfully adhere to. I'm going to go ahead and say that again for us, okay, just to help us out. The preservation of our descendants, of our generations, of our progeny is dependent on the kind of covenants that we make and the kind of covenants that we faithfully adhere to. This is what Abraham's life is teaching us. He's a man not only of faith, but he is a man of covenants. You see him make this with Abimelech. You see him with an oath before God, a promise there as as Pastor has just mentioned. Here he's showing us that when you start thinking about your generations, you need to start not only thinking, but making and adhering to covenants that are there. By the way, you realize that here in chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, It's giving you a sign. Why do you think so many covenants are made in this way that we're seeing here with Abraham and his chief servant, where his hand is placed under his uh, thigh? See, our translators aren't really helping us out by just trying to make everything uh, nice and tidy and clean. It wasn't underneath his thigh. It was underneath uh, his testimonies. Yeah. Yep. It was where under the generations of the man, and that's how they were making a covenant. They were literally... It it looks like... It doesn't look like this. It probably looked more like this. Is that what you're saying, Pastor? I'm saying that there is an entire sack check that's Ah, going on. Wow, that's interesting. Because this is what is actually happening here. Already you can see how serious this has to be. (laughs) put your hand under my thigh. No, this is getting real serious really quickly here because that's what covenants are about. It's because everything about a covenant is trying to teach you. Say, I'm hearing, Pastor. I'm hearing, Pastor. It's trying to teach you that our faithfulness to covenants preserves our progeny, but our unfaithfulness to covenants poisons our children, our generation, and essentially puts them to death. See, that is the very picture that we're getting here in Genesis 24. In fact, years later, many generations later, it's still the faithfulness of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to their covenants that causes God to remember the generations that had come from them, the very people of Israel. Let's look at that further as the story expands and moves on. Everyone turn to Exodus chapter 2. Say preservation through covenant as you turn. Preservation Preservation through through covenant. covenant. You know, as you guys are turning there, I probably did that wrong earlier. Abraham, he was a man of God. Yes. Probably didn't look like this. It probably looked like this. Big ones on that man of faith. You got to be serious about making a covenant if you let a man, another man do that to you. It's got to be real. Exodus chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. 
The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their they and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Are you connecting that? So a new ruler in Egypt, you have oppression, groaning of God's people, and what does God remember? The covenant that God established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Or another way to say it is, and he knew. He yadat. So the covenant starting with Abraham is the entire reason why Israel has been perpetually delivered and preserved by Yahweh. Through every tribulation that they have experienced, the covenant with Abraham is the reason why they have been delivered. So covenants made several hundred years before this time are the very things that are still stirring the heart of the Lord for his people Israel. So if God treats his covenants in this way, then what do you think is required of us regarding the covenants that he has directed us to establish and engage in during our vapor-like brief time here on earth? Let me ask you a, a couple of questions regarding that. What level of fidelity should we have to these God-ordained covenants? Should it be fickle? No. Should it be faithful unto the end? Yes. What level of, of concern should we have about these covenants? Are we actually watching over them? Are we protecting them? Are we making sure that no contaminants are a part of our covenants? Do we let it just go by the wayside? No, no, we don't. So as his sons, how important do you think it is to our father that we reflect his character as it relates to these covenants? It's everything. Sons are defined by the fact that they act just like their father. And if the father is this uh, prioritized and takes seriously the covenants that he establishes, well, then he expects his sons to reflect the same behavior. God was so serious about these covenants that he separated out a singular tribe, one tribe that would help all of the other tribes to adhere to and remain committed to the covenants that they had made with the Lord and with each other. Would you guys like to know what the name of this one tribe is? Okay, drink some more coffee. Would you like to know? There we go. The name of this tribe was Levi. So turn with us to Deuteronomy 33. As you're turning to Deuteronomy 33, verse 8, you guys say preservation through, and what's that next word? Covenant. Preservation through covenant. Everybody say it. Preservation through covenant. Okay. Verse 8. About Levi, he said, your Thummim and Urim belong to the man that you favored. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. So at the very beginning of what God is speaking over this man Levi and the tribe that would come from his body and the generations that would come after that, guys, the very first thing that God hones in on is the testing process of the covenants between he and Levi. 
Once covenants are made, attesting is required to prove the genuineness of the commitment to the covenant. Every single time. That's part of the reason, however so small that this morning is of a trial for all of us, it's part of the reason that we as your pastors are so excited to get up on this stage and to preach our hearts out before you guys. It's because in in a little way, the covenant that we have made between you and us is being tested just a little bit. Our spines, our metal is being tested just a little bit. And it is our joy to be able to be up here and to preach our hearts out about testing of a covenant that we will and we will in the future remain faithful to. You got to ask yourself when these, this testing comes to covenants, will they be sustainable in the future? Will they be lasting? Are they eternal as God intended for them to be? You see, covenants are not ever meant to be broken. They're meant to be eternal. Can we tell you this morning that entering into covenant is not the same as keeping covenant? What? Entering, shaking hands, entering into putting your hands under some testimonies, entering into that covenant is not the same as remaining faithful to that covenant. Take a look at verse 9 with us. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. Come on, take your Bible and hold it up in the air. Now, everybody, yep, every one of us. See, this should be the basis of every covenant that is established. This is what we see, and this is why Levi is being blessed. You can put them down. Levi did not have a covenant with his father or mother, his own water of the wound family. He had a covenant that was first and foremost. Somebody say first and foremost. First and foremost. Based on the eternal truths of the word of God. And this was the reason why God chose Levi to help the other tribes with their fidelity to their covenants with God. Now before you, uh, you want to drift off somewhere in your thinking, let me help you with this. Let us as your pastors help you. You hear us say this constantly about that the only family, the family that you should prioritize are the ones who are doing the will of God. We are speaking that to you constantly. Why? Because we want you to be able to be faithful to your covenant with God. When you have an obligation, when you have a commitment to say, I will watch over your word, God. I will guard your covenant. And then you fall prey to the deception of those who are not committed to this word. We are constantly reminding you to stand firm, to stay with the family of those who are doing the will of God. Why? Because if you don't, it will pull you away from your covenant and you'll think you're being and doing something honorable in the process. It's not honorable to prioritize a water of the womb family relationship. It is not honorable for you to prioritize a friend that you grew up with. It's not honorable for you to prioritize someone because they have the same skin color 
ethnic background or same uh, 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 likes that you have. It is not honorable. It's actually pulling you away from the covenant that you have with God. You just don't know it yet. We are not a church that is trying to micromanage what you do. We're trying to say, the covenant, the covenant, the word, the covenant, what the Spirit has told you is more important than any other connection that you can have. If we can get this in this house, the ones, let me just put it this way for just a second. The ones who cannot get this don't stay here. Not because we kick them out, because they veer from the covenant that God has established and they separate themselves from us. No matter how much with tears on our knees, washing their feet, that we say, you are walking away from your covenant. Do not do it. Do not do it for anyone, for anything, for any family member, any friend, any tribe that you belong to, any ethnicity, any nationality. Do not walk away from what God has given you. We are standing like the tribe of Levi on your behalf. This is what Levi did, and it's why God chose Levi to show the people how to keep the covenant. No father, mother, brother, or child that they had kept them from standing and watching over the word and guarding the... Okay, it's okay. They we'll go get it. it. Watching over the word and guarding the... Covenant. Yeah. See, that's what Levi did. There's a difference between carnal commitments and kingdom covenants. The first should be passing away as you're cutting it away. You're intentionally starving it. You are walking, you are standing firm in what God has given. While the kingdom covenant should be growing and increasing in you every day. That's why some of you can come in here in six months, start to surpass those who have been here for six years. It is literally about whether you're keeping the covenant or whether you're falling prey to carnal commitments. Did I, did I just take away all of the, all of the veiled the uncertainty, I don't quite know. I'm saying if you've been here for six years or 16 years or six minutes, follow the covenant. Be committed to the covenant. You can be exactly what God says as you are walking in covenant. I want to address something real quick that goes along with what Pastor Wade just said about carnal commitments versus preserving a covenant. What Pastor Wade said is the evidence of whenever you reprioritize any other relationship above your covenant with God and the other God-ordained covenants that he's established. But I want to share with you more of the deceptive part of this. And this is what gets most of you guys tripped up. It's when you have not just only a reprioritization. It's a parallelism, meaning that you take carnal commitments and you put them on the same equal level as your covenant with God. You think it to be a nobility to reach out and go minister to someone that God has not ordained for you to go minister to them. And what you don't realize inside your own heart is that it's more of a selfish ambition and a guilt trip about that family member, about that distant friend, that you want to go bring them your version of the covenant 
rather than standing on the covenant that God has given you and beckoning them to come to you. Think about how you made it here. Did you make it into this place, this family, because someone in this room kept reaching out in a form of compromise, easing your conscience with partialities of the covenant that they had with God? It was just the opposite. There was no reprioritization nor a parallelism. It was one standard of one covenant that challenged the depths of your soul, showed you the state of your spirit, and that there was no other way of life than to come and repent before God and receive a transformed, resurrected life. And your life now, what it has been, whether it be six months, six days, or six years, it is abounding with life and fruitfulness because of a continued faithfulness of adhering to your covenant with the living God. That is what has made you who you are today. And that has made us who we are as the one association. Verse 10. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. He teaches us your precepts. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. So washing over the word and guarding the covenant are the very things that qualify Levi to be able to teach. I'm going to say that because that is worth writing down and self-reflecting on after this message. Watching over the word and guarding the covenant are the very things that qualify Levi or those who minister in God's name to be able to teach. How do we normally see that as Greek-minded believers? If someone is knowledgeable, if they are an encyclopedia Britannica of information about the things of God, then you're able to teach. Have you been someone who just espouses knowledge but have no idea what you're talking about? I will raise my hand on that one. So it actually has nothing to do with your depth of word studies or your dynamic delivery. And it has everything to do with the seriousness and the faithfulness with which you implement the word of God in God-established covenants. That's what gives you the weightiness of word whenever you begin to transfer it. It's because it's coming from a foundation on a covenant with God. That man is the one deserving of blessing for all of his skills. Verse 11. Bless all his skills, O Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Oh, here we go. Smite the loins. Smite the loins. Smite the loins of those who rise up against him. Strike his foes till they rise no more. I can tell that you guys are already making connections between this passage and what we were reading earlier in Genesis 24. Just like Abraham and his chief servant there, when covenants are made, they are synonymous with the preservation of one's generations. That is why Abraham asked his servant to put his hand under Abraham's thigh. When you fight to preserve, when you fight to guard, when you fight to protect the covenants of God in your life, God himself 
will fight to preserve, guard, and protect you and your generations. That's what we're learning from Deuteronomy 33. He will even smite the loins, the source of generations of your enemies. It actually goes the opposite way when you keep covenants in the way that God does. This is what God did for Abraham, and it is what God will also do for us when we take this seriously. But the opposite is also true, and we got to tell you that this morning. When you easily compromise in your God-established covenants, what are you doing? You're actually identifying yourself as an enemy of God instead of an ally. Because God is a God of covenants. That is his character. And he cannot renegotiate those covenants. When that happens, you got to know your generations are no longer secure at that point. And what's more, you yourself end up missing both the love and the faithfulness that God desires to show you through covenant. Come on, everybody say love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness. This is what we're talking to you about today. Those who keep the covenant with the Lord and with their brothers are able to see the love and faithfulness of the Lord. Turn with us all, everyone, turn with us to Psalm 25, and we're going to begin in verse 10. Psalm 25 and verse 10, say preservation through covenant as you're turning. Preservation through covenant. Psalm 25 and verse 10 says this, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Somebody say, all the ways. All the ways ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Can anybody relate to that kind of a sentence there today? Yeah. Yeah, all of your ways are loving and faithful. I need you to forgive me because I have great iniquity here. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He The Lord will instruct him, the man, in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. Do you see how we're talking about covenants? That all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demand of his covenants. And not very long after that, you're going to talk about the generations, because your generations are preserved through covenant. Your generations are preserved through covenant. I'm going to say it again. Your generations are preserved through covenant. We're giving you a key that is unlocking so many things because God is sharing it with us and he's causing us to get it today. Verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Yeah, that deserved a better amen from you. The Lord confides in those. You understand what confiding is? He takes you into a secret place, into a sowed. God gives sowds to those who actually fear him. He reveals his own covenant to this man who is fearing the Lord. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Church, these are Peshat scriptures that are regarding the benefits of adhering to his covenant. By the way, I just actually read seven promises to you. 
from this passage that about that come from that are the result of keeping his covenant and sacrificing completely a sevenfold kind of sacrifice for them let me go over them quickly with you you will see all of god's ways for what they actually are loving and faithful you know why because you're keeping your covenants you get to experience god's forgiveness even for great iniquity in your own life you know why because you are keeping your covenants. You're able to hear and be instructed by the Lord in the way that he has chosen for you. Do you know why? Because you are keeping your covenants. You're going to spend your days in a kingdom kind of prosperity. Do you know why? Because you're keeping your covenants. Your descendants will get to inherit the land. Do you know why yet? Because you're keeping your covenants. And number seven, if, you, if and when your feet get caught in a snare, the Lord will be able to release their feet from that trap. Do you know why? Because you're keeping your covenant. All right, so we got, we got something special for you guys. In this passage, there is a hidden gem. It's there. But before we do. To expound and exemplify the merit of what we see in this passage and all the seven promises that Pastor Wade just walked you through. This is there as a reminder and a foundation of what your trust in the covenant is going to produce. And it, it counters fear. Particularly the fear that rises in your hearts that says, I know about this way of life based on this covenant that I see here at LCM. But what about my children? If we push this hard, if this much is demanded of us in this covenant, that might harm my children. That's what that lie and that fear says that does come out through actions. But that is absolutely in opposition to the seven promises that we just read. Either God is truthful or he is a liar. And I'm going to go with truthful. I'm going to say that he is faithful to fulfill all of the promises that we just read about. All seven of them. He is a God who has never backed up or forsaken his promises to his people spoken through his word. So every time that that fear is there, oh Lord, what about my children? You, you know that... Part of the foundational establishment of our way of life that we live now, why we're coming to church sick, why we don't back away from obstacles, part of the forging was our initial journeys into Mexico. In 2009, the cartel issues blew up, and they had infighting between them. Every single uh program and institution that was going to Mexico to go minister and do all these wonderful things because you could have a shopping day at the beginning and the end and do puppet shows and dramas. It's real easy, no world conflict, and tacos are great. All of them fled. They abandoned the covenant of what God originally told them to do. You know what we did. We kept going. We were forcefully advancing the 
word and actions of our covenant with Yahweh God. He didn't tell us to quit. And the number one thing that people would tell us all the time, particularly blood of the uh, or water of the womb family, what about your children? You're bringing your children? Yes, I'm bringing my children. It's not safe, though. And our reply is, it's more harmful to them if I let them stay because they will become just as fearful and impotent as you. That is what has been a part of building the kingdom here in our churches of the One Association. We do not estimate our fruitfulness of the covenant based on whether or not we will or will not be harmed by it. No. I'm, I gave up my life and the rights to it the day that I walked into the kingdom. I was a dead man walking. And I am constantly in need of his renewal. All right, so you ready for the hidden gem? Okay. No, that was not it. <laughs> Another hidden gem. That was the velvet cloth laid out so the gem can go on top of. So, all of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. This is an expression of praise. More explicitly, it's where you would begin when you're going into the tabernacle. It is the gates of praise. See, because the entirety of the tabernacle is aimed and centered around one thing, and that is covenant with God. The bronze altar, that's seen in the passage that says, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. All right, so we got two for seven now. The labor. Labor speaks about the man who fears the Lord, who rightly sees his image in reflection of God's image. And by fearing the Lord, he takes on the character and image of God. The menorah and table. You will receive instruction from the Lord. What do we have when we have the Spirit of God leading us through the Word of God? We have instruction from the Lord. All right, altar of incense. We're five for seven now. You will spend your days in prosperity, and your descendants will inherit the land. This is partnering with God's heart and his will. It is the means by which you experience prosperity. Anything outside of partnering with God means that you will not prosper and your inheritance and your descendants will not inherit the land. But the altar of incense is clearly seen in that verse. Lastly, the most holy place. He confides in you. He brings you into his secret counsel and makes his covenant further known to you. Hasn't that been your experience when you get to the most holy place? You're just praying through the tabernacle. It's you, you and your family, or us as a body. And you're standing there face to face with God, and you know him that much more. And every time that you come to it, more of him is revealed to you. So here's the, the overall uh, perspective. If you do not abandon the covenant... Let me say it again. If you do not abandon the covenant, then you will continue to abound in the covenant. So we realize something at this point in our message that when we say the covenant, you might have a lot of different things coming to your mind. 
Of course, <clears throat> most would probably immediately jump to the covenant that you personally have with the Lord. I know that my mind did. But as we saw in Abraham's life, Abraham also had covenants with the men around him. So what does this look like for us in our state, in our setting today? Well, we're not just talking about our covenant with the Lord. We're also talking about our marriage covenants, right? Can you guys see that clearly? We're also talking about the covenants that we have with our ministry teams. We're also talking about the covenants that you guys just went and strengthened between the churches of the one association. We're speaking about all of these level of covenants this morning. So know something. The covenants that exist between the churches of the one association, well, they're, they're not just by themselves. They're actually built upon something. Those covenants between churches are built upon covenants between our ministry teams. That's how that works. If we don't have a covenant between our ministry team that is actually being enacted and actually treated as a serious thing between us, then we never have covenants between churches. Well, the covenants between our ministry teams are dependent on our covenants with our wives. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Your marriage is the foundation for that level of covenant. Guys, if you think about that deeply for a second, no wonder we don't see many others bound together like you see the covenant between churches and the one association. It actually takes levels of covenant to get to what God has established between churches today. These are concentric rings that are building and growing upon one another. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, but we wanted to lay the foundation for you guys with that right here. Guys, if you can't get your marriage right, then you won't get any other covenant right either. You won't get your covenant between uh, your ministry teams correct. You won't get your covenant between churches right. Nothing else will be right. But every single covenant that we just mentioned they are all dependent on our first covenant, the one that we made with Jesus. Come on, before we go deeper into that first covenant with Jesus, did you guys get the gem that Pastor Nick just gave you? There are some in here who are called, and you're going to be starting and planting churches, and you're going to want to be connected to other churches. Do you know why churches can't do that? Because they don't have the right kind of covenant within their own ministry team. Do you know why so many people have trouble within their own ministry teams is because their covenant with their own wife is not in shalom and in right order. So in other words, if you're having trouble at your ministry team level, where should you start by making sure that you are firmly f implanted in? Your husband and wife covenant has to be strengthened. Then when that is strengthened, then people can join together in ministry because you've already been living in covenant and you know how to add different covenants. You know how to be a part of multiple covenants. Remember, that's exactly what Abraham did. He had a covenant with Abimelech. He had covenants with other men. He had covenants with the Lord. And he was able to keep all of his covenants because he was a man who knew how to walk in covenant. This is what the Lord is helping us with. Now let's talk about that first covenant that we have with Jesus. Everybody turn with us to Matthew 26 and verse 26. 
Say preservation through covenant as you're turning there. Preservation through covenant. I promise you that that little section that we just did, I can feel, I can feel what God is trying to do for us. I love how the Spirit of God can take things and demystify them take away the veil from what we're doing and make and give us such clear understanding. Sometimes God makes it so clear that we're like, well, yeah. Yeah, of course it's that. Yeah, but you didn't know that right before we said it. And you didn't realize the depth of the meaning of it, and that's what God is helping us with today. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Matthew 26 and verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat this. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, this is a very familiar passage, yes? Okay. Jesus here is in the same position that Abraham was back in Genesis 24. Think about it for a second. Jesus is exactly in the same position that Abraham was. He knows, Jesus knows that he doesn't have much time left. And what does Jesus choose to do? He decides to make a covenant with his brothers. See, for Abraham, he had an ongoing relationship with the chief servant, one that lasted many years, by the way. But that relationship and that fellowship was not the same as actually making a covenant. Being in fellowship, association, even liking each other is not the same as being in covenant with somebody. Jesus is here making a covenant with his disciples. Here in Matthew 26, consider this event. They had had fellowship with one another for three and a half years up to this point. Their lives were closely knit. They went everywhere together. They were friends. They were brothers. They were together. And here is where they're actually joining into covenant. Until this moment, they did not yet have a covenant with one another like the one that Jesus was making with them here. Come on, tell me that anybody had thought of that before right now. They are walking with Jesus. They are being discipled by Jesus. They are there. They're all in. They left everything, and they still hadn't yet walked into covenant with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus had promised them all the way back in John 6, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. By the way, what happened when Jesus said that out loud? Even the hint of this kind of covenant, people bailed as quickly as they could. They got offended. They walked away from this type of commitment to a covenant. So what do you know about those people? They lost their generations because they walked away from the covenant. Not only were they impacted, but their generations were impacted. See, Jesus is saying here, 
He had said to them in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood in covenant with me and I with you, you can't be part of me. It's not an optional thing. If we're going to move beyond just a brotherhood, just a fellowship, just an association, we're going to have to get in covenant with each other. Now, as one of Jesus' last acts before his crucifixion, he's prioritizing the making of this covenant for the preservation of his disciples and their generations when he is no longer there. Guys, the communion here at this Pesach meal is a time where they actually, he told them in John 6, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Here in Matthew 26, they're actually having to do it. It's not a concept that's just floating out there. They're actually having to commit to this, and he's saying, this is my body, eat it. This is my blood, you must drink it, because you are going to come into covenant with me in a brand new way on this night. Church, this is an amazing understanding of what covenant is. I think it's worth saying again the major point that Pastor Wade said. He prioritized the making of this covenant for the preservation of his disciples and their generations after he was no longer with them. Who are the recipients of this? We are. We are. Because they chose to enter into this covenant with Messiah that would cost them everything, even their lives. You know from our church culture, what do we do that's a reflection and remembrance of this event? Communion. So communion is a reminder of our first covenant. Everybody say first covenant. First covenant. And our first covenant was not made as a merely a fellowship or an association with Jesus, being part of his country club. No, it was fully accepting and identifying with Christ's flesh. Another way to say it, fully accepting and identifying with his body. And sacrificing our lives like he did for it. These men were not perfect in the moment, were they? No. No. They were not perfect in the moment of acceptance of the covenant with Christ. But they were indeed committing to the process of perfection that Christ would accomplish inside of each one of them. But only through their corporate commitment to the covenant. He didn't offer this to just one of the twelve. He offered it to all that were there. So wives, can I ask you a question? Yes, kind of, sort of. Just don't call my name. How perfect were you when you stood before your husband on the day that you made your covenant with him? How perfect were you? Not perfect. Okay, let's be transparent. Raise your hand if you were not perfect on that day. Okay. Ezra, I don't think you can raise your hand. Okay. It's effort, man. It's effort. We applaud effort. Okay, so men. Men, you as the bride of Christ, how perfect were you the first day that you were born again? All right, raise your hand if you were not perfect on the first day you were born again. All right, so let's put this, put this together. Wives, husbands, is anyone 
growing through the process of sacrificing and remaining faithful to covenants in the house of God. So with that in mind, we have another scripture for you. Turn to Hebrews 10, 11 with us. Come on down. Preservation through covenant as you're turning. Preservation through covenant. Hebrews 10, 11 is an incredibly insightful verse for us this morning. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Yeah, that's right. That's you and that's us. Guys, for the reason of covenants, the purpose of covenants is our preservation through our fidelity to them. Actually, it's the covenant itself that's continually making us more and more and more holy as time goes by. Come on, say that again. Ooh, when we adhere to the God-ordained covenant, starting with the first one in our life, over the course of time, that is the very thing that makes us more and more holy as time goes by. You engage in covenants because you want to be perfected, not because you are already perfect. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. No, you realize that you are not there yet, so you purpose your engagement in covenants so that you can engage in that perfection process, knowing the entire time that your Savior will bring you to completion through covenants. Guys, if you do not abandon the covenant, then you will continue to abound in the covenant. Amen. Church, I love this principle that it is the covenant that is making you holy. It's the covenant that is perfecting you. You don't enter in because you're already perfected. You enter into the covenant and are perfected in the process. Look at verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. What's the this? The Holy Spirit is also testifying to us about our perfection process. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time. You want to know about perfection? The Holy Spirit says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. See, the transformation inside of you as a result of your own sacrifice and faithfulness to your covenants is the one that changes the very makeup of who you are. Your heart is continually changed and affected by the law of God being written upon it. Your mind is transformed. It's renewed as God inscribes the eternal stipulations of his covenant, the very word of God, permanently onto it. Church, you are perfected as his covenant is made alive in you, as you sacrifice, as you wholeheartedly hold to the covenant. It is what is perfecting you, transforming you, changing you in the process. But the converse of that is also true. If you abandon your original covenant, then Hebrews 10 and just in verse 26 gives us a clear picture of that as well. Verse 26. 
If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him? The blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So when you, when you deliberately keep on sinning, you are ignoring the process of perfection that the covenant is intended to bring to you. When you have trampled the son of God underfoot, you are trampling the very body of Christ that has provided the preservation that continually brings you sanctification. When you have treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant, you're treating as unholy the blood that was spilled for your continual purification and perfection. That's what it's there for. And as the passage concluded, it is an insult to the spirit who gives you the power to say no to sin. Did you see that in the passage? A spirit of grace. And as Titus shows us, the grace of God is the ability to say no to sin. Our adherence to our first covenant with Christ and his body and blood literally is something that will make us or break us. Your ability or inability to adhere to our first covenant with Christ is what's at stake. So when there is the fidelity present to the first covenant, there is the promise of preservation. There's the promise of resurrection life. There's the promise of further maturity and expansion of God's kingdom through you, through your family, and through the churches. Church, we are going to have fidelity in every single soul in this room to our first covenant. As you're turning to Hebrews 13, verse 20, say, I will be faithful. I will be faithful. Verse 20 says, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, have you ever caught before that it was actually Christ's own blood that brought him back from the dead? You ever seen that before? It was actually Christ's own blood that gave him resurrection power. It was the covenant blood of his sacrifice that was the very thing that brought that empowerment on day three. Without both covenant and sacrifice working together in Christ's life, there would have been no resurrection. Christ himself necessitates, his, his example in his life shows us 
just how important both covenant and sacrifice are working together. Come on, that's good. It's the very thing that brings resurrection power to Christ and the very thing that will bring resurrection power to us as well. Guys, without both aspects of Beersheba, that's right, we're bringing it all the way back to Genesis 24. Both aspects, both the covenant portion and the seven ewe lambs of a perfect sacrifice for that covenant, we do not have access to the well of life that comes from our wholehearted commitment to this covenant process. But, somebody say but. When we have real commitment to our covenants and real sacrifice within those covenants that have been established by God, it is there that Christ's resurrection power can and will be found in our lives. And as if that was not enough, like that blessing and that guarantee is not enough for us. If that was true, both our our equipping and our continued growth come through our wholehearted commitment to our God-ordained covenants and our sacrifice for them. Guys, in this passage right here, in verse 21, when it says, equip you, yeah, that's right, that you is plural. When it says, work in us, well, that's obviously plural. That can't be singular, right? This means that we cannot do this without each other. Imagine having a covenant by yourself. That doesn't work. At all. Yeah, that's weird, Abambola. Don't let your mind go there. That's just awkward. That means that we have to do this together as the body of Christ. Guys, turn with us to Revelation. We're going to look at the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. You need to know as you're turning there that this church was addressed by the one, it says, who died and came to life again. The one who had that resurrection power. Look at verse 10 with us. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Can somebody say amen to that? Do not be afraid of difficulties that are yet to come. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Say that with me. Be faithful Faithful unto unto death. death. And what happens? I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. See, like Levi, covenants are made to be tested. They're meant to be tested in every way. Real kingdom covenants birthed by God will always stand the test of time, but carnal commitments will always crumble, or else you will end up in compromise. Did you guys notice how affected the One Association Conference this year was uh, was with sickness? It's kind of obvious, right? Most of you are still sick up to this point. I mean, we have a, I would say a symphony of coughing, but if I were... Pastor Matt, I might say a cacophony of coughing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. some of you just coughed because you had the time to. (coughs) You're right, Pastor. Hey, but we know that we could ask any one of you, was it worth it? Of course it was. 
You might not have realized this, but you can say that confidently because of the level of covenant between the pastors and between the churches of the one association that you got to participate in. You were part of groups of covenants, of covenant teams that were working together, and it blessed your life and made what you were suffering through worth it. Your strength today and your strength for tomorrow comes and will come from your covenants with the Lord and with each other. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and finish this time together, but I want to make sure that you get that. Your strength today, the strength that you need for tomorrow, comes from you being faithful and sacrificing for your covenants with the Lord and for each other. If you can get this revelation with us this morning, then you'll be able to say after many trials, after all kind of problems, it is all worth it. With future difficulties that are still ahead of us, our resurrection power needed for those events will come from our ever-growing and ever-increasing commitment to our God-ordained covenants. Church, we are going to be a group of people who has fidelity unto death and loyalty unto life. Say it with me. Fidelity unto death and loyalty unto life. This whole passage ends with the thought that you won't be hurt by the second death. Do you know why? Because you'll have the resurrection power that comes from faithful adherence to the covenants and by your ongoing sacrifice for them. In one of our final scriptures today, turn with us to Isaiah 49. Say preser preservation through covenant as you turn. Preservation, preservation through, through covenant. covenant. We're going to pick up in verse 8 of Isaiah 49. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. To restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. So, your covenants involve all of you, meaning your commitment, your perseverance, your fidelity, but their end result is never for you. The end result of covenants is never for you. Because we spoke to you earlier about the levels of covenant, right? It begins with our first covenant, the one you made with Jesus. And it is the foundation for all other covenants covenants. The very next one, meaning the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant is built upon the first covenant. Your ministry team covenant is built upon your marriage covenant. Your, our covenant between the churches of the one association is built upon that. So commitment to these levels of kingdom covenants and sacrifice on every level of covenant are both required for verse 8 to come to pass. The verse that says, I will keep you and will make you. Make you the one association to be a covenant for the peoples. What starts out as something that you are learning to keep will be the very thing that will make you to be a covenant for the peoples. That need what we have so that they can be made into it. Come on, let's continue in verse 9 and 10. To say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on 
them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Guys, you can see clearly with the pronoun usage here, the word they, the word them, the purpose of becoming a covenant for the people is so that they can experience the same preservation that you have experienced. The goal is that they will feed beside the roads. They will find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst. And that the desert heat and sun will not beat upon them. Listen, church. This does not happen without our own Beersheba moments. Imitating the faith and covenant of our father Abraham, who sought with all his heart, to ensure that generations after him would be preserved through covenant. Like the meaning of the word Beersheba, you and I cannot have a sacrifice that means anything without a covenant that's actually established by God and not by your own hand. And you cannot have a covenant established by God without that sevenfold sacrifice, the complete sacrifice that God has required of us because of the covenants that we've made. Because Abraham knows what it is like to make a covenant with the Lord, he also knows how to make covenants with his fellow man that are not about himself or for his own benefit, but rather for the benefit of those who would come after him. So like Abraham this morning, we are revisiting our Beersheba moments. And we are recommitting to what we agreed to at the very beginning. We're revisiting our God-ordained and God-established covenants and recommitting ourselves to them this morning. Also this morning, we are resolving to sacrifice completely for the covenants that we have made before God and before our brothers. Church, our recommitments to covenants, for us today, we get to do this collectively. We get to do it together with communion, but we're going to be aiming it at every level of covenant that you have. We're going to turn to our final passage of scripture for the day. We still have some good things for you. There's been some revelatory moments here today for us, and we've still got some that are yet to come. So turn with us to our final passage, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11 and 23, and it says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, as we're, as we're beginning to talk about communion here, the idea is that you're proclaiming the Lord's death, but you're also not just identifying it, you're proclaiming our death along with him. We are participants of exactly what happened in Jesus Christ. We are able to do this and walk in this because of exactly what we mentioned earlier. We are committing and proclaiming a fidelity unto death and a loyalty unto life. But there's something beautiful in the verses that are just ahead. 
Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body, concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So look, there's something extremely beautiful in this that is going to direct how we conclude our time together and continue in this way of life. Contrary to the way that we and most of you grew up in church, communion is not about you. Communion is not about you. It's not about you and your personal relationship with Jesus. No, the scriptures clearly say that it is our responsibility to consider the body of Christ before we take communion. Consider the body of Christ before you take communion. Because we don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. So right now, everyone look around you. Look at the people that surround you. When you partake in communion, it has everything to do with renewing your covenants with both God and with the brothers on your left and right in front of you and behind you. The passage clearly states, examine yourself. Examine yourself in relationship to God and those around you. You must discern your shalom and not between you and the Lord only, but within the relationships in this body. Examine the covenants that you have within this body and your faithfulness or lack thereof to them. So right now, I'd like for everybody to stand. Church, verse 29 is beautiful. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body as a whole, all the, the men and women and children to your left and right, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What we want to do this morning is focus on the God-ordained covenants that he has placed inside of each and every one of us. What we want to do as we get into worship and before we take these elements together, is you want to hone in on every concentric ring of covenant that God has established in your life, starting with your first and primary covenant, you and Jesus. You start with that one, but we want to tell you it does not end there. From there, evaluate your next ring of covenant, the one in your marriage. Recommit yourself to that covenant and to the sacrifice that God has required in your marriage covenant. Then go to your next ring, the ministry team that God has ordained and that he's placed you in. Evaluate how that portion of the body is functioning in covenant this morning before you take communion. Guys, let's do this together. As we raise our hands, as we focus first and foremost on that first covenant and we go outward from there, consider and discern the body 
before you grab these elements of communion. After you have walked through this process, on your time, come up here and take these elements and return back to your seat. Father, thank you. Thank you, mighty God, for the revelation, Lord God, that turns us away, away from ourselves, away from a selfish personal relationship just between us and you. Lord, we know that communion has everything to do with the union of your community, Lord God. Father, and it's not just about fellowship, Lord. It is about the covenant that you have established in the heavens that is required of us here on the earth. Father, we thank you, mighty God, that as we renew these covenants today, Lord, that you will promise the preservation, not of ourselves, mighty God, but the preservation of our generations and our teams, mighty God, that the churches that you have established will be preserved, Lord God, through the renewing of these covenants and sacrifice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.